Welcome back, friends, to our podcast, Cheeky Vibes, Peaceful Life. My name is Lauren Mazadonsky. And my name is Michelle Moss. And today we have a guest. Her name is Lauren Capo. Hello, Lauren. Hi, Hi how Lauren. are you? And um, Lauren has um, a pretty traumatic story that she's going to share with us, um, sprinkled in with hope and, and, and good things for the future and honoring her lost loved one, which in her case was her daughter. Um, Sophie. So this is a story that we wanted her to share um, for multiple reasons, but just to give our listeners um, understanding and understanding that they don't have to be quiet about things. And if something's going on in your lives to get help, when help, you know, reach out and get help. Um, and some of what this story that Lauren is going to share is, was their way of helping themselves as well as honoring their daughter. So um, first of all, I've met you recently yes. and, and you work at Q92, um, in, in marketing. Is that, is that what your title is? Um, marketing promotions? Actually, I'm the director of operations for the station. Okay. Um, well, so your email yeah. says that, so we need to update. Yeah. That. <laughs> <laughs> well, I put marketing and promotions in there because I have many, many hats that I wear, um, mm -hmm. and marketing promotions at least kind of covers quite a bit of that, you know, from working with our, our reps at like Live Nation to working with people in the community for any of the events that we're working on. Well, and we appreciate um, Q92 for some of the stuff that you guys have helped Jonathan and I with, with getting our story out there. So I, after I met you and we, we started talking, I said, how would you like to be on the other side of the mic for us and to hear <laughs> your story? Um, yeah. So your sweet daughter, um, Sophie, has has been gone. It's been nine years since she's passed away. Correct. Well, it'll be nine years on June 11th. So we're 10 days okay. out from that. Really close to that. Yeah. Yes. So how about you share what was going on and how, when did you find out that there was something wrong with your daughter and, and kind of talk us through that journey a little bit, because you were pregnant when you found out, right? Correct. Uh, yeah. So, um, we were expecting our third child, which was Soph. Um, she, and you'll have to pardon me because we do in our household, we talk about her, like she's a part of the family. So, and that's a wonderful so. way to honor her and keep her memory <laughs> with you guys. Yeah. yeah. Um, so she, uh, at our 20 week ultrasound, I, I, it's funny because I had seen Dr. Domingo with all three of my babies and, um, you know, I can't say enough good things about him. Um, but his ultrasound tech is one that I had had through all three of my pregnancies. So, um, you know, and unfortunately with my son, we had had some, what they thought was, could have been potential issues. He's completely healthy and fine. Um, it was really, he was, he was having an increased nuchal thickening, but they had dated my pregnancy incorrectly. So he was further along than he, what he really was, but, you know, we kind of kept an eye on him throughout labor or throughout my, my pregnancy. And so she knew us really well. So, you know, we come in and we're chatting and, and she's doing my 20 week ultrasound. And this time we brought both kids. I don't know, quite know what we were thinking, but we did bring both of our kids because my daughter at the time was old enough to really get excited about the fact that she may have a brother or sister. So we didn't want to exclude them from the experience. You know, so she's talking to them. How old were, how old were your other two children? Um, they were three and six okay. at the time. Yeah. Um, you know, so my husband's trying to do his thing and kind of take care of the kids and they're getting excited and all that kind of stuff. And I, Barb's demeanor changed. I, I knew right then something was wrong with our daughter because she's like, you know what? I'll be right back. I got to go get Dr. Domingo, you know, da, 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 da. 
and um you know at that point she was like well I'm gonna she came back in and she said I'm gonna have you get dressed um you know we'll wipe the goop off your belly and everything and have you go back out to the waiting room and then Dr. Domingo is going to come in and talk to you. And I kept had that happened before. No, okay. no, no. Um, you know, and we didn't even find out the gender at that point. She goes, Oh, I know what it is. You know, we'll let you know here shortly, you know? Um, and so went back out to the waiting room. My husband's like, my son's like literally crawling, belly crawling across the waiting room floor. And, you know, probably terrifying all these first time moms that are sitting in there because they're like, Oh my God. <laughs> and he's doing normal kid stuff. Which <laughs> yeah. Kids do. So my husband's like, you know what? I'm going to take him out to the car. He's like, call me when, you know, let's let the kids have a break. I'll take him out, give him a snack in the car. And if you've been to an OBGYN's waiting, it's never quick. So, you know, he takes him out to the car and they call me back. And I, I texted my husband. I said, you know, they called me back and he's like, okay, I'll be in shortly. Um, because we all know it can take a little time for the doctor to come in even. And so um, Dr. Domingo came in and he said, where's Tony? I'm like, he's in the car. He's coming in shortly. He goes, well, can you tell him to come in? And when he came in, um, some of our favorite nursing staff were like, we're going to take the kids. Um, do you guys want suckers? You know, and they're so all of this going, is getting the buildup of fear and terror. I'm spinning at this yeah. point. I'm like crying and she's bringing in tissues. And I didn't even know why I was crying yet. I just knew something was wrong, but it was so strange because I knew, I knew she was alive. I saw the heartbeat I mean, and I've had an ultrasound before. I knew she was alive. So I, I was like trying to wrap my mind around what it could be. Um, you know, and finally he's like, you know, she has a heart defect and we're not entirely sure how um, severe it is, but we can see it on our ultrasound, but we're not equipped to really diagnose what it is. He said, I, I think it's an AV canal defect, but I cannot confirm. And I, and I need a specialist to take a look at this who can really, you know, dive in and dial in on, on the chambers of the heart and really take a look. So we had to wait it was like 10 days. Oh my gosh. That had to be torture for that 10 day period. It was. Because um, you're, I, cause whatever it, it is or was the worst case scenario, I'm, I'm sure you were playing all of that out. And every yeah. so we, we tried to go to a local specialist. Um, but again, he was like, I would feel more comfortable with you going to Cleveland. Um, and so we had to wait after that appointment, like another five days, Cleveland Clinic was pretty good about getting us in quicker. And that's when uh, we met Dr. Aaron Burke, who did, uh, you know, a, a really in-depth scan of the heart, um, you know, kind of did an echo on her through me. So you can imagine how hard that is to begin with, you know, a baby's heart is about the size of a walnut. So wow. through me, through her, you know, kind of looking at the heart and it was just a very tedious scan. Um, and so, you know, the, the lights come on and I'm like, okay, we're going to know. And she's like, so it's a, a complete AV canal defect. It's balanced, meaning she had a hole between the atriums uh, in between the lower ventricles, but they were so large, they almost made one big hole in the center of the heart. Um, and so, you know, my first question, and I really, because I wanted to blurt it out the whole time that the ultrasound's going on, I'm like, is she going to live? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and Dr. Edward's like, yeah, you know, success rate with the surgery repair, you know, after she's born is like 97%. And so it was like this relief that kind of went over us. You know, we knew it was going to be tough. And, and then she went on to talk about that. We might want to get some genetic testing done. Um, just because, you know, children with heart defects, a lot of the time, I would say about 50% of the time, there's a genetic defect involved. You know, one of the biggest markers too is Down syndrome. Um, you know, about 50% of kids with Down syndrome, I, roughly, I don't know what the actual statistic is. It's, it's a large percentage. 
end up with AV canal defects, they're usually all repairable. Um, you know, but our point was you might want to get some genetic testing. So you know what else you might be dealing with. You might not, mm-hmm. um, you know, so we decided not to, because we didn't care, you know, we were going to accept whatever God gave us and we were going to get her the best treatment that we could and be the best parents that we could. And this is how we were meant to be a family. Um, so we continued with my pregnancy and weekly, we would go to the Cleveland clinic, make the drive from Canton to Cleveland and see our specialist. And we got to watch her grow in utero in 40. And it, that was awesome. And, and um, everything at that, her growth and everything was completely yep. normal, developmentally no, appropriate. Yep. Wow. No, no failure to thrive, nothing. Um, you know, they were estimating, I, I ended up going into, so I always say Memorial Day weekend is like a little bittersweet. It's kind of really where our trauma started. Um, because about two weeks before Memorial Day weekend, I went into preterm labor with her. Um, I was 30, 34 weeks pregnant, um, which was early. Um, and we panicked. I mean, they started pushing meds at Altman hospital as much as they could to get my labor to stop. It wasn't stopping. So we did another round to the, to the end that I had an epidural place. Um, and then it stopped. <laughs> so you get to go through the worst part of, of having the baby and getting that epidural put in and then labor stopped. But thank God. Oh gosh. Um, and then I was in hospital uh, on bed rest for a week. And they finally discharged me to go home on strict bed rest so that I could be home for my birthday um, and spend some time with my kids who were spending every day coming up to the hospital to see me um, and to take some of the pressure off my husband, um, you know, having to commute and work and take care of the kids and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I, we were told, you know, you're three centimeters, but you're 80% effaced. So if something happens, you do not drive here, you call EMS. I mean, those were the strict instructions Dr. Domingo gave to my husband, Tony, before we left the hospital. And we're like, okay. And it was uh, May 27th. It was a Sunday. And all my kids, we had gone up to my in-laws house, which is just five houses up. My kids were in the pool. I was laying on the couch on bed rest. And I had to go to the bathroom. And when I went to the bathroom, my water broke. But it was completely filled with blood. Yeah. And so we called local EMS, rushed to the hospitals. And I'll never forget... Greentown, we live in Greentown and we're very proud to be from here. My husband was born and raised here. I went to Greentown Elementary and our EMS is awesome. And I'll never forget the guy that was taking care of me in the ambulance said, and he was an older gentleman. He's like, I got to tell you, Lauren, I see angels. They're circling over Altman Hospital. It's going to be okay. Like he was the sweetest man. And um, when we got upstairs, I remember Dr. Domingo saying, you cannot have an epidural because your blood counts are too low. You're losing too much blood. And so he's yelling at them to get the OR ready um, and said, you know, we may have to put you under and you may not be able to be awake for this because I'm gonna do everything I can to make sure you're okay and that she's okay. And within 40 minutes, as they're getting ready to take me to the OR, I pushed and she was born. And gosh, yeah, I had had a complete placental abruption. Um, So I was hemorrhaging, but she came out screaming. I mean, screaming. I was like, oh my God, like, you know, I'm about to pass out because I'm so lightheaded and just from everything that's going on. And, you know, I I did look at them and I said, does she have Down syndrome? And they said, we think so. Um, I said, okay, that's cool. You know, take her, do whatever you need to do with her. And so then it was about stopping my blood loss at that point. So, you know, they're pushing Pitocin and doing the uterine massage and all that kind of stuff. And I continue to bleed throughout the night, but it slowed, thank God. And I wasn't able to get up and go see her, but she was doing so awesome. They actually brought her to me at two o'clock in the morning and let me do skin to skin with her. 
for about 30 minutes. And I'll tell you what, that was the last time I got to hold her before oh my gosh. all hell broke loose. So, um, you know, I wouldn't actually physically hold her again in my arms until um, the Friday before she passed away. Um, it was awesome. It was just well, what a husband. blessing that yeah was the nurses that, that were there that brought her to you and let you have that time. Who, who yeah. would have known that that anything was coming? But to have that opportunity is wonderful for sure. Yeah, I know. And and that to me is like my favorite Sophie moment. That's mm-hmm. you know it was just me and my husband, and we both were able to hold her tight. And I will never forget. And I always say this, and I've I've written this before in posts. She was so awake the whole time. And if you've ever had a newborn, I mean, they just sleep constantly. You're lucky to get them to open their eyes, especially the first few days. I mean, they're exhausted from their, you know, journey into this world and they're so little and still growing. And she was awake the whole time and she just kept staring at us. And I told my husband, I said, I really think that was God's way of letting us know that she was trying to memorize our faces. She wanted to know us um, in the brief time that she had a feeling well, um, you know, so that was a special moment for us. But um, the next day, you know, I woke up, my husband wasn't in, in my room. He was over in, in the NICU. <laughs> he told me later, he was lucky. He got to feed her. Um, you know, so he got to do first feeding and all that kind of stuff. And um, I'm so glad that he got those moments. Like I said, you know, it goes back to him having such a different experience because while we were together and he's checking in with me, he got to do all of these other things that I couldn't because I was, you know, not feeling well at all. Um, and you said yes. that too, when, before we started recording that your husband was in that between his, the love of his life, wife and the new love of his life, his daughter, and you're both in different ICUs and him trying to navigate all of that as well as your other children. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he was definitely in a very, very difficult position. Um, He kind of came back over and he's like, the doctor's going to call in a few minutes and talk to both of us. And her pulse ox saturation levels had been dropping um, that morning. So it was, you know, we had like one kind of good day ish and then, and things started deteriorating. Um, and it had gotten to a point where they're like, we feel like we need to intubate her and give her some, some oxygen. She needs some help. And they're like, we're not sure why, you know, they, they had done an echo right after she was born. Uh, it was Memorial day weekend and they just did a quick echo and they're like, yep, there's the complete AV canal defect, you know, I mean, um, so they called our team up in Cleveland and they came down a team from Cleveland Clinic came. They flew down to get her. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Cleveland Clinic came down. Um, that's where I have to shout out. We're still friends with her flight team today. It's been oh, wow. nine years. But I remember one of the flight nurses that came, she was pregnant and her name was Suzanne, uh, which I didn't find out until a few years ago because we kept, I kept trying to find her and I couldn't. And I have. And since we've become really good friends. Um, you know, she's come to some of Sophie's events and things like that, but she was pregnant and, and, um, you know, she looked at me at home and she could tell I was terrified. And she, I said, please take good care of her. And she rubbed her belly and she's like, like one of my own, I promise. Um, and so they flew her to Cleveland. They discharged me. We went up to Cleveland. Um, they got her situated. They were running all kinds of tests on her. Um, and they let us know pretty quickly after we got there, Dr. Ehrenberg came in the room who had seen her through my belly right. and I was seeing her in person. And they're like, yeah, there's a second defect that's more concerning. She has a coarctation of her aorta, which for people who don't know who what that is, because most people don't right. um, think of the aorta as like uh, a bending straw. It's not really supposed to be bent like that, but hers was. So right. when you bend it, you inhibit blood flow to where okay. it really needs to go. 
Um, and they're like, we need to start pushing prostaglandin. She needs some medicines, things like that. We're going to see what we can do intervention wise to get that opened up. So she's getting all the blood flow. Okay. You know, and they, they had her stabilized. I'm back at a hotel because I was so exhausted. And I, I called my husband because I'm like, I don't want to add to the stress levels, but can you like send your mom over, or come over because I think I have a fever. And he was like, I'm on my way, you know? So they're back. My mother-in-law's like, I'm taking her to the ER. You go back with Soph. Um, my mother-in-law took me to the ER. When we got there, my heart rate was like 188. Wow. Um, and so then they ordered immediate CAT scan. And we found out because of the placental abruption that I had developed a massive blood clot in my gonadal vein, which is in the pelvis. Um, and so at that point it was like, okay, what do we do to get this so that it doesn't go anywhere else? Right. So, um, we ended up doing Lovenox injections. I started on Coumadin, mm-hmm. um, you know, just, yeah. So the Lovenox was trying to turn it into scar tissue so that it couldn't go anywhere. So it would attach to the, the wall, uh, the vein. Um, so I battled with a fever. I will tell you, Cleveland Clinic was amazing. They would, as sick as I was, they would give me all my medications in the morning, run all my blood work. And then they would give me a, like a six hour leash <laughs> where my husband would come get me, put me in a wheelchair, take me over to see my daughter where I would stay with her until I absolutely had to leave to come back for when the charge nurse was going to change shifts and they had to run my blood work again and adjust oh my gosh. again. And, and that's, that campus is so huge. That can be a it is. big walk or ride yeah. or whatever. Yeah. 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 So it was, it was definitely an experience. That's um, compassion so for them to let you and your husband have that connection. Sure. Yeah, for sure. They, um, they're top notch. I, you know, I can't, I can't thank them enough. You know, a lot of people are like, I don't know how you can go back up there, you know, because she did ultimately um, end up passing away at Cleveland Clinic. She lived for 15 days uh, and she actually did not directly pass away from her congenital heart defect because of the delayed detection of her co-work. She lost blood flow to her kidneys. Our daughter passed away from kidney failure. Oh my gosh. Wow. She was too young. Um, to qualify for a kidney transplant. Um, we did do PD dialysis uh, and it kind of started to wake our kidneys up a little bit and we had hope. I mean, you know, people who were following our story at the time, Caring Bridge was like the thing. So, you know, we would post updates on Caring Bridge and things like that. And it was like, everybody pray for pee. We just want a wet diaper, you know, like, you know, we were trying to do all of these things and she had become so endemonous because she wasn't able to get that fluid off of her body. She had more than doubled her, her, weight wow. from the time she was born until when she passed away, just because she couldn't get the fluids off. Um, but I will tell you, I mean, Dr. Stewart, who would have been her heart surgeon, we knew him well, we had met with him during our process and our trips up to Cleveland Clinic and had a surgical plan. Um, he was incredible, continues to be incredible. Um, it's amazing how those friendships, those trauma, I mean, through trauma, creating these friendships that don't go away. I mean, I, I've experienced that myself, but just to have that connection you yeah. have with the flight team with the surgeons, with the, yeah. the heart surgeon. I think with all of the chaos of today, it's such a personal thing when you're going through that. So to have somebody be like, it's okay, we're going to block out the rest of the world and we're going to do this together. Yeah. I think that's what kind of creates and like really sets the foundation for those relationships and those friendships. I mean, you know, her flight team came back and, and gave Sophie her wings. It sits on her memorial shelf in our family room. So she earned her pilot's wings yeah, she was with their team. Um, they came back every day to check on her to see how she was doing. And our they were invested. Was, they were invested. Yeah. yeah. 
our flight nurse actually came back and, um, you know, the weekend she was off for the weekend. Um, and she came to us and she's like, you know, I'm going to say a prayer for so I'm going to see you on Monday. And I'm like, okay. And at this point we knew she was like really sick. I mean, they had come to us in rounds and said, you know, we were going to be very candid. Your daughter's the sickest child in this hospital. So we knew it wasn't good. And that night she actually went into cardiac arrest and we didn't have a plan. You know, we hadn't talked about that yet. I think it's because the hospital knew we weren't ready. We, we hadn't accepted it yet. So we didn't have a plan and I'll never forget, you know, it was out of like, honestly, I say it's like an out of body experience, but it really truly was. I remember standing in this, you've ever been in the ICU in Cleveland clinic, it's all glass doors. You can see in every room. Mm -hmm. um, and so they had, she started to code and the crash team comes running in. So, you know, it's like, you almost don't even know what's going on. They push us into this room across the hallway and they're like, we have to know what you want us to do. And I, I screamed it. I'm like, save her. Do what you can. It's, Take care. it's, it's a natural parental thing. I yeah. mean, you would want anybody to save your child. Right. Um, you know, they were able to revive her. Um, and at that point, that's when they said, you know, this is crazy. You guys need to be holding her. She was held straight from Friday night until Sunday night when she passed away. Um, she was always either in my arms or my husband's arms or a family member's arms. Um, around the clock. We never your, put her down. Did you, were you allowed to take your children in? Did they get a chance to have a kind of closure? Oh, they Gosh. did. And the children's clinic was amazing. They got to visit every night. There was one night when there was a little boy next to her that um, he was so sick. This is crazy. They did his open heart in his room. Wow. They had to go in and do a repair. He was so critical. They could not transfer him to the OR. So they did it there. And it was like one of those moments where we kind of didn't even want to be in the room because I'm like, God, that was my child, you know, and I have somebody on either side of me. But I mean, you could literally, I mean, you knew what was going on. You could see reflections, you know, things like that. And luckily he made it. He's home. He's thriving. He's great. Um, that was the only night my kids could not come back and see their sister. Um, and so my daughter called because every night she wanted to sing Sophie a lullaby. So she sang Twinkle Twinkle Little Star to her every Aww. night. So she did it over the phone, um, but they were amazing. And, and we have a huge family. And so her room was like a little art gallery. We always said, you know, if you want to take in some art, it's the room of culture, you come in and see all of these paintings and drawings on her walls that her cousins had made for her because a lot of them were too young. They couldn't, they made the exception for, you know, her siblings, but not for the cousins. Um, you know, so it was, it was one of those things that I just remember it being so, so I hadn't been outside in like two weeks and I remember the drive home the next day, it was like, it was the most, I can, when someone can say, when was your lowest of low, when have you ever felt at your lowest? I can pinpoint the moment. And it was that drive home and we rolled the windows down in the car and I knew that we were up against making funeral arrangements and ordering flowers and having to tell our other two kids. Um, but I just remember putting my head back in the car and the wind was blowing. And I'm like, this is it. This is what rock bottom feels like. This is what complete emptiness feels like. So, you know, we got home and, and we had to tell our other kids and my six-year-old, my daughter, Maren was just kind of like, what? I mean, like she just couldn't wrap her mind around it. And my son, <laughs> he fell asleep. He's three. He fell asleep on the couch. He just couldn't he just couldn't process it. He almost like know. shutting it out. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. months after she passed away, we'd be in the car and he'd be back in his car seat and, you know, coming home from the store and he'd be like, where's Sophie again? When are we going to see her? Like, Aww. he just, 
you know, so it's hard when you're trying to deal with it on your own, but then you have these two little kids who just cannot possibly. And something you said when we were talking is so true that everybody's grief journey is so different. So different. And everybody has their own, you know, not just you, your husband, your kids, but your entire family that love Sophie, you know, and everybody was going through that and hard. And so I, I think we kind of talked about this too, before we recorded, how did you and your husband navigate this? Because this is a, uh, losing a child is a really hard thing on a marriage. Yeah. And how did you guys, what did you do to get through that? Yeah. So, um, you know, in the early few days, I think it's like anybody, any couple that's, that's just lost a child, you cling to each other. Mm-hmm. So I just remember I was adamant that we hung a picture. We added her picture to the wall in our room where we had the other kids' pictures. And it was on my side of the bed at the time. And so every time I'd roll over, I'd just stare at her picture and cry until I fell asleep. And he was great. You know, he understood it. He was right there. Um, But as time goes by, you start processing it differently. Unfortunately, you have to get back to life, especially when you have a three-year-old, a six-year-old that need everything. I mean, breakfast and taking life doesn't stop for them. Right. Yes, for Mm -hmm. sure. So I always say, thank God for them because that's why we literally got out of bed every morning. If this had been, you know, my first child, I don't know that I could have, to be honest, but then I knew that they needed parents. Um, we were incredibly lucky at the time. My husband and I worked for the same employer and they gave us the summer off to kind of figure things out and grieve. Um, and to be together as a family. Um, so that was huge. Um, but my husband's grief was like immediate, you know, like he was just, I mean, beside himself, you know, he's like, I'm supposed to be the great protector. I mean, I think that there's the stigma that the man has to hold everything up, including his wife, even through a time of grief. And that's not fair. Um, because I can't minimize his loss. It was as equal as mine. My experience was different. Yes. But it his loss was as equal as mine. Um, And so mine was immediate. And as he was kind of, I don't want to say coming out of his grief, but his deep grief over losing her, it was probably five or six months after she passed away and reality hit me. I think I just wanted to push those emotions away because they hurt so bad. Mm -hmm. I just kept pushing, pushing, pushing away. But what I was doing at the same time was I was pushing my husband away who needed me to be there for him while he was grieving. And so that's a tough thing. Um, and it's not just a year. I mean, this, this kind of continued allowing us to be our own people and respect for one another as spouses. You know, I was very selfish. I can look back on it now because I'm like, God, you know, when I finally started going through it, I'm like, why isn't he embracing me more and telling me everything's going to be okay? And it's because in his heart of hearts, he knew nothing was ever going to be the same. It was going to be okay. Yeah wasn't going to be how we wanted it to be. Um, but I think he was also a little bit bitter because I wasn't there for him when he needed me to be there for him. So it's just that dance of giving each other a little bit of grace and you don't see it in the moment, but eventually you do. And then it's okay. We gave each other the space to do what we needed to do, but how are we going to come back together and really be together? You know, it's one of those things that I've said, how are you going to love me when I'm broken? When I know you're broken too. Um, you know, so it's just, it's, it's tough. And that's one thing that I always want to tell people that have gone through it, give yourself some grace. It's not his fault. It's not your fault. This is a crappy situation that we've been dealt, you know, give each other some grace. Um, 
it's probably the worst thing you'll ever go through. And I say that, you know, I lost my dad a year before I got married. I was lucky enough that he knew my husband and loved him. And, you know, at least I got that. Um, And while that was incredibly painful and sent me into so much anxiety at a very young age, because I was just about to like leave the house, get married, start my life. And then my dad, you know, passes away. And it was just an unsettling time for me. This was so different um, when it's your child. So as they always say, it's not the natural progression in life. You're not supposed to lose your children. You know, that's, yeah. Makes it so, so how did you guys, how did you and your husband, you said you, you realize this and you, you look back, but what got you through? Was there an aha moment or an epiphany where it was like, wait, we yeah. got to work on us and do us. Mm-hmm. And, and to be honest, there are some times that we still look at each other and go, we got to do us. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like you need to recircle back to your marriage because absolutely so much happens. Right. Um, but the aha moment for us actually came courtesy of my father-in-law. He brought us a copy of guideposts and it was about a family that had a very, very eerily similar situation. Um, however, they didn't find out about their child's heart defect until after birth. So they had no heads up in utero. Um, and it's crazy that, um, through pulse oxometry, about 88% of all critical congenital heart defects can be detected. It costs the hospital less than $2 to run a pulse ox test on any patient, big or small. Um, and that's like the first line of kind of tipping you off that something could be wrong. Um, and it was not a mandate in the state of Ohio. Um, you know, so it's like, okay, we have to find some grace and grief here. We have to find something that we can do constructive together to remember her, to honor her and to do what we can because her life mattered. I mean, she was here for couple of weeks, but my God, she's with us for an eternity. She's a member of this family. Um, and so I picked up the phone one day and I called Scott Olsager and I'm like, Hey, you know, what do you think about doing this in the state of Ohio? It's kind of crazy that we don't. And I kind of gave him the rundown and he's like, it's so funny that you bring this up because the American Heart Association out of Columbus just said something about this at the state house. He's like, let me get you in touch with them too. Maybe we can all work together on this. So very long story short, um, I get a phone call back from Olsleger's office and he's like, Senator Gail Manning and I are going to sponsor this. We're going to take this, you know, would you be willing to testify before the House and the Senate on behalf of the bill? Wow. And I'm like, yeah. That's a very <laughs> empowering moment to be yeah. able to change things. Yeah. So um, the first time that we went down, I testified by myself in front of the Senate. The second time we went down, we testified before the house and my husband also testified on behalf of the bill. And that time we also had a very special letter written by Dr. Stewart at the Cleveland Clinic to back us up. Um, and we were joined by other heart families, which was so cool. Um, some of them that we're still friends with today. Um, and then it was June, uh, it was June of 2014. So almost two years after our daughter's passing um, I got a phone call and they're like, hey, you're going to want to watch this link. They're taking it to a vote on the floor today. And there I watched Gail Manning, Senator Gail Manning, talk about our daughter on the floor. Um, and within two weeks of that, we got a phone call um, from Governor Kasich's office, because at the time he was governor. And he's like, hey, bill passed. We want you to come down and sign this. Wow. So we went down and we have pictures of our kids sitting on Governor Kasich's lap. And both of them, if you, if you pulled a bill um, down at the 
both of our kids have signed, um, you know, Senate Bill 4 into legislation. Um, and so within a year, Ohio hospitals started mandating the use of pulse oximetry. It had, children have to be tested twice. It's part of their newborn screening panel wow. uh, in the state of Ohio. And so that was a huge moment for us. And, and I didn't think it could get any bigger, but it did. Um, we have now met two children, one of which the mom reached out to me and said, I was walking the hallways of Cleveland Clinic and I saw your daughter's picture on the wall and I read her story. And we are here tonight waiting on our daughter's surgery because they detected that she had a critical congenital heart defect via pulse ox testing right after she was born. Um, and so we've gotten to meet her a few times. Um, and then also a similar situation with a local little boy named Braxton, whose mom is a huge, fierce heart warrior advocate here in Stark County. Um, her sons was also detected that way and we're great friends today. So it's awesome when we get to meet these kids. Well, yeah, and that's the fruit of your labor and it's honoring it Sophie and saving lives. And yeah, that's it's, amazing. It's super cool. And I always say, um, you know, I have one of my dearest friends in the world is, uh, is a heart mom. She showed up to our very first charitable event with her son, who at the time was less than a year old. Um, and his name is Cam. He's been honored here around Stark County by the American Heart Association and also uh, is a patient with, with the Akron Children's Hospital has been a part of the Akron Marathon, but he was born with half of a heart, this hypoplastic right heart syndrome. So, you know, I always say that these relationships are gifts. His mom had us, I, I was able to go and be in the waiting room for his last open heart surgery with her and her husband and her family. And, you know, a lot of people look at us and they're like, we don't know how you can do this. And I'm like, but you don't get it. Like, these are gifts. These are my moments of self. These are, these are things that she is sending us to get by you know, so that hope, that hope and, and yeah. feeling of some sort of in control of something. Yeah. Speaking of, you just mentioned, um, your fundraiser, your first charitable yes. event. So what is, what did you guys put together? And I know, I think it's the sixth that we're talking about. It is. So it tell us about the that. Seventh. Yeah. It should have been the seventh annual, but COVID kind of wrecked things for us last year as it did for everybody. Right. Um, but we started a charitable flag football tournament. This is our sixth one. And we really did it because we're a huge football family. Uh, my kids have been in fantasy football leagues, probably shouldn't even own that, but since they were <laughs> like eight or nine. It's a passion. The whole family my, has this passion. My daughter's the league commissioner for her and all of her, her um, cousins that oh are boys. So I always think it's funny because. <laughs> yeah, that's so cute. Um, and we have a really great friend. His name's TJ Downey, who played for Ohio State. He's on our board. Um, you know, and so it was kind of like, it made sense for us because we know about it. So we started this charitable flag football tournament, which has been awesome. We've kind of bounced around to quite a few different locations. We've been at um, Glen Oak High School and, and Central Catholic and Greentown Athletic Club here in Greentown. But um, we're so blessed that the um, Hall of Fame Village Sports Complex has given us a home. And so this year we are hosting um, the tournament over at the Hall of Fame Sports Complex on July 10th. And really what it is, is you can register as a team. We accept corporate sponsorships to have corporate teams play. We also have family, heart families that come back and do teams just for, you know, in honor and memory of their kiddos. Um, but every team is assigned a heart kiddo that they get emails about before the tournament. So they learn a little bit about them. And then as long as the child is well enough, they join us on game day. And they get a team picture with their kid. Um, the Hall of Fame gives us signature balls that the whole team you know, writes well wishes on. 
awesome. and gifts to the child. Awesome. But we use it as a way to kind of bridge the gap between advocacy about heart defects and conditions. Um, and then also a way to raise funds to help some of the families here in Northeastern Ohio. There are so many heart families here in Stark County that I don't, I don't think people realize how big the Northeastern Ohio heart community is, fortunately and unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, but there are some fierce parents that I know of and they come out and they, they have these teams. And, you know, it's really cool to see over the course of the past six years, you know, we have a couple of teams in particular that have played for the same kid each year. And it's awesome because they get to watch them grow up and they've connected with their families on a personal level. So we see that interaction like on Facebook and Instagram. And Right. Um, Where can people get all the information for the event? It's sophiebowl.org. Yep, we have a... Yep. And so, you know, we, we say that we play our hearts out for CHD and those children that they play for are heart hall of famers. And so, you know, again, huge shout out to the hall of fame for kind of stepping up and helping them honor the heroes of our game, if you will. Um, but it's just a really fun day where we can celebrate life uh, and remember those kiddos that aren't with us anymore. Because unfortunately we have had some kids we've played for that have passed. Right. The other thing you had mentioned before we started recording was that, you know, sometimes when families go through this, there's that sense of shame when we don't talk about things. And this is bringing this, uh, like the awareness level and the acknowledgement and that, you know, there is no shame. This is something that just happens. But what you've done with what happened is create awareness and uh, House Bill 4 and Senate House Bill 4. And I mean, it's just amazing how you guys put this horrific trauma of losing your daughter into something so positive, you know, taking something hard and negative and turning it into how can we help others? How can we honor our daughter? And it's beautiful, Lauren. It is yeah, just beautiful. And I, I so appreciate that you shared this with us. Oh, no, um, I appreciate you allowing me to share it with you. Like I said, you know, we're talking about how it's taboo to talk about child loss. It's cathartic. Nine years later, it's it's cathartic. It's, right. it's something that I love to do because she's one of my favorite things to talk about, just like my other children are, you know, I right. brag on them this right. is my chance to brag on her because she's, she'll always be a part of this family. And she has, has gifted me and empowered me and my husband to do things that we never thought we were capable of doing uh, to really make an impact. And she has. That's uh, awesome. Taking that, turning it into something positive. And, you know, a lot of the things that you said are what, you know, I talk to my clients about, you know, giving yourself grace, no matter what situation you're in and, and grieving and everybody grieves differently. And, and this, it's not linear. It's all over the place. And, you know, just so many things that I think what you've shared will help um, some of our listeners out there or somebody that they know, you know, we have a lot of ladies that listen, but there's some men that listen too. And, and again, like you said, it's really important. Your husband was going through his own equally horrific trauma yeah. and, and grief. And, and yeah. sometimes we put societal things on people, you know, like we shouldn't talk about this loss or our husband should be strong or they shouldn't show any feelings. And that's all hooey, <laughs> yeah. you know, and we have to be able to be in our feelings and feel what we feel. And, and well, this helps people know that they're not alone. Right. Right. There's a lot of people that are like, don't you miss the way it was before all this happened? Well, sure. But I actually kind of like this version of us better. Yeah. Um, you know, we've walked, there's nobody in this world that will ever walk through what I've walked through with my husband. And I feel like we're better for it. Um, right. Right. I, know, so it's, I can completely agree with that. It is. You look yeah. at it as a gift and you live it as it's a gift. So for sure. Well, we really appreciate it. Um, 
tears, a lot of tears I had pop up and goosebumps multiple times. Um, And I I know our listeners are going to gain a lot out of this. And also um, a fun time to be had at the the Hall of Fame Sports Complex on July 10th um, for Sophie's Bowl. So um, we look forward to hearing more about that and sharing that and maybe even coming down and participating in some way. It would be fun. Even opening ceremonies are great because all the kids are introduced with their families and you know, we do something to remember um, all of the kids that have passed. That's beautiful. Um, you know, so we kind of kick off the day with why we're there. You know, we really, why we're there. So it's, it's a great day. I always say it's a great day of celebrating life and remembering our angels. And it, it really is. So that's beautiful. Well, again, thank you very much. Thank we appreciate you. you. And um, if you could hold on for a second. Um, sure. And for our listeners, as always, stay cheeky.